Hello and welcome everybody back to According to Andrew number 107, Deflation Means Asset Prices Will Drop. So I've been seeing a lot of people uh, that are kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth and it's been driving me nuts. Uh, on the one hand, they're making claims that we're going to have inflation and tighter because of tighter money and stuff like that while um, still seeing like deflationary things. <clears throat> so you're going to see fall these falling asset prices and all this stuff, but still we're going to see inflation. Now there is a certain situation where that plays out. We'll talk about that, but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about both mon monetary phenomenon when they're discussing this because otherwise they would bring up uh, supply chain stuff and hilariously uh biden and all them were kind of right with the whole like they're like oh it's transitory inflation and stuff like that and they're they were correct on that they should have held that line but they've changed that uh talking point at this point uh and we'll talk about why that is um but basically they just described uh, deflation. So which one is it? Basically, it seems like a lot of these people are hedging their bets so that they can take credit for whichever scenario plays out. Um, there is one scenario where, uh, both these play out and that's basically because we just destroyed our supply lines. Uh, guess what? There's a massive, uh, lack of supply. And when there's a lack of supply and the demand hasn't changed or maybe increased due to people having more free time because everyone was locked down and stuff like that, uh, you're going to have prices in increase and stuff like that but that's not a monetary phenomenon and uh <clears throat> inflation is generally seen in the milton freeman definition where it is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon so if that is the definition that you are going to be using then this is not inflation um <clears throat> if people are curious about monetary people that i trust um that i think give a good perspective on what's actually happening and uh have a good sound understanding of uh, economics uneducated economist has been hitting this uh, hard about how the supply line stuff uh works and he uh works in an industry that it's very apparent how that works um i sometimes i used to work uh in a uh, factory kind of setting and i'm and he's on the retail side i've worked on like the uh su supplier side in a sense uh so I kind of take for granted that maybe people haven't been in these settings and don't understand how logistics and all that stuff work. Because uh, it is a very complex system. It takes a lot of time to get stuff set up, getting the just-in-time deliveries and stuff like that. It's a lot of uh, management and uh, tinkering and stuff like that. And to just pull the rug out from everyone with these shutdowns and stuff like that, it was going to be a huge thing. Now, a lot of this stuff has taken a lot longer to play out than I had expected. And I think that's uh, something that everyone is and we're going to be looking at a lot of the charts from the great financial collapse <clears throat> uh just to give people a perspective of how long this stuff is takes to play out because a lot of people are like kind of chomping at the bit like oh bitcoin's gonna go back up or all these stocks are gonna go back up um any second now and it takes a long time to play out and the bottom really hasn't fallen out of the thing yet and on top of that i got a really scary graph to show you that i I highly underestimated how bad it was. Like, I, I've been talking about this stuff and thinking about this stuff for a while. Uh, it is so much worse than I could have ever imagined. <clears throat> so, uh, we're going to go into a deflationary scenario um, where we have a dual leveraging of the economy. Other people that are trust. So, we got uh, uneducated economists, George Jammin, Box Day, Steve Keen, Ray Dalio, and Richard Werner. Um, I think are all people that kind of understand the macroeconomic side. Um, the main thing that people don't talk about is the debt. If you if you're hearing someone and they don't talk about the debt or how the monetary system creates money, which is literally just through uh, a decree, when you go and take take out a loan and you get a loan from someone, uh, the the bank is creating money. They're like 
you promise to pay this back, we will create the principal amount, and then you have to pay us the interest, and the interest is uh, money that's circulating through the economy. So um, one mistake I had made in the past was thinking that the interest was deleted out of the system when it's paid to the bank, but <clears throat> uh, the interest is the banker's salary, and therefore that money isn't deleted. Now, I still have an issue with um, compounding interest because a lot uh, it, eventually it'll churn up and catch up to uh, the per productive output of the company or not company but like the economy and, and tank the whole thing so that's an issue but uh there you know you could just do simple interest and that would probably solve that problem um so those are the people that i trust on uh the aspects of economics and and who really kind of knows their stuff um the scenario that uh we're describing is in uh deflation because Credit, which is money, is destroyed when defaults and uh, when defaults happen and deleveraging in the economy. So basically, what happens is you have uh, Sri Lanka is a macro scale example of this. In Sri Lanka, uh, they defaulted on their debt. Well, that means all that principal that was supposed to go to pay that all got wiped out, <clears throat> um, and this creates issues because of a uh, thing that I actually uh, was just thinking about the other day. Where are we here? where uh i was wondering why banks refused to lend um during the great financial collapse because it was kind of weird so there's there's two kinds of contra there's asset contractions and there's there's other kind of contractions and just so we have uh, let me uh flip this on here real quick so here's what we're kind of dealing with nowadays uh if you guys watch George Gammon's stuff, uh, oh, George Gammon also has another um, YouTube channel called Rebel Capitalist, so uh, those are two by him, so check both those out on YouTube. Um, he was talking about this. So this is what we've basically been experiencing for the last, since the 80s, is basically uh, infla uh, asset inflation. Right here is the great financial collapse where you can see a lot of that uh, got taken out, but here is a, uh, it's going up again. Um, the other one is we got monetary inflation, so we see the money supply and everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at that, that's absolutely parabolic, uh, we're gonna have an issue, but here's the thing, this is the M2 money supply, uh, and the real one that matters is the M3 money supply, which we will get to. And then consumer price inflation, we're seeing this, but again, this is because, uh, supply, uh, supply bottlenecks and, and all that stuff, um, so this isn't... This isn't actually a result of the money printing because the amount of this money printing, while it looks like a lot, isn't actually a lot in the grand scheme of things because the money that is created is created through credit. <clears throat> so every single time you take out a loan for your house or for uh, various things, the banks have the uh, right authorized by them. That's why you need a banking license. It's uh, a right given to them by the United States government to be able to print money. This is in general, a good thing, because <clears throat> the as your economy expands, you need more money within the system, because money is supposed to represent um, the productive uh, enterprise within society. Well, if you make a pair of sunglasses uh, that didn't exist before, you took raw materials and you, you put in your labor and stuff like that, that money is supposed to represent the labor that you... Uh, and, and stuff like that that you put into the <clears throat> took from the ether and put into the real world and created a uh, object and increased the overall amount of uh, capital and 
and goods within the economy, and therefore we have grown the economy. Well, to reflect that, the money supply should grow. But how do you get the money supply to grow? The one of the I'm not a huge fan of debt, but it is by far one of the cleanest ways to get the money supply to grow in tandem with the economy if it is done correctly, which historically it has not been. Um, the reason why this is is because um, one of the, the things is the Cantillion effect. So the Cantillion effect basically says uh, people, the, the people that get the, the new money first get the largest benefit, and then that it trickles down to the rest of the economy. Well, if everyone can get the new money first, in a sense, everyone can benefit to an extent. This causes issues because when it goes into things like homes, so a lot of people are going for homes, well, a home isn't a productive asset. So it, uh, by getting a loan for that, it just drives up the price of homes. That's why you see things, uh, is this captured? Uh, this is why you see asset uh, price inflation because these assets aren't actually um, increasing in value. It's a greater fool type thing, and the reason it can keep going up is because the amount of debt that's pumped into that sector just keeps growing and growing and growing <clears throat> um, until it can't grow, which is what we have with the uh, great financial collapse uh, going on right here. So that kind of spreads out the effect of contilling effect throughout the entire economy, which is kind of a cool effect because that means... Uh, it has its pluses and minuses. So the minus is if you're someone like me who doesn't like debt, doesn't want to take out debt, and uh, sees it as um, as a problem, by people taking out stuff and especially using it for asset growth, you're basically left behind, and you don't get to take advantage of any of the uh, the growth. The advantage is when the um, chickens come home to roost and all of that debt is washed out the system, uh, you aren't going to be uh, left standing there, uh, what is it, when the tide rolls out, you'll see who's naked, uh, you aren't going to be one of those that's naked, so that's the advantage, but you have to be patient, and you have to wait for uh, collapses like your grand financial collapse, or the ones that we're about to go through, to uh, basically get ahead in life. <clears throat> Ideally, we wouldn't have asset uh, price inflation bubbles, but at this point, who knows, so what's the correct way to do this? The correct way to do this is to give uh, loans to entrepreneurs to create small businesses <clears throat> that can be effective engines for running the economy. This makes it uh, <clears throat> this makes it so that they can adopt new technologies and uh, push innovation and grow um, the economy. And also, it is it helps reflect. So, well, we'll get back to that. The, the growth of the economy. And the growth of the money supply is then uh, reflected in tandem, and you don't have this massive uh, deviation. So one of the <clears throat> major deviations that you can do is uh, Wall Street versus Main Street. So generally, these... Um, here we go. So labor participation... So, when equities and stuff like that diverge like this, this is the financial sector just basically using debt and pumping it into their portfolios and pretending like uh, there's actual economic growth. This is what it should be following because it, it um, shows actual economic growth. So, that's what's kind of going on there. So, that's where it gets kind of weird when the great financial collapse happens because here we, we go down. But... So... 
in a normal economy, there would be ups and downs because at a certain point, um, there would be some mistakes made and eventually it would compound within the entire system and there'd be a misallocation of resources and the economy would shrink. But it would be a natural shrinkage and it would be limited. And the reason I, I say it'd be a natural sh shrinkage, um, okay, maybe Irving Fisher's death, uh, deflation spiral would happen in that scenario. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because it, <clears throat> as the contraction naturally happens, there are a lot of companies that are going to be looking to take advantage of the, um, the new capital that has become available and the, the shrinkage is natural because a lot of the, like if a company goes under, it's greater than the sum of its parts. So when it, uh, goes under and those parts are sold off to other companies and people have to go find new jobs and stuff like that, um, the actual economic for the time until that stuff can start getting integrated back into the economy, the actual productive output of that company is, has actually diminished the amount of the economy. So we should actually see a true depressive effect. <clears throat> this is different than the asset bubble. So, uh, and it's greater than some of its parts because there's a lot of things like, um, uh, synergy between people, how the, the overall system works. Uh, maybe there's jigs and stuff like that that aren't transferable to another, uh, company. Uh, maybe there's some capital equipment expenses that again are very specific to the industry and that industry no longer, uh, is going to be used. And so that capital equipment is basically dead in the water. There's, um, a certain amount of investment that went into the company and certain, um, systems and other things that they had that are just not straight up. Some of the, the lessons and stuff I learned from the people that work there will transfer to new companies, but the actual system itself and the amount of man hours and, and time that it took to set up a lot of that gets lost. So that has to be reflected in the drop in the GDP and a recession slash depression type situation. This is not really what happened with the great financial collapse. Yes, that did happen to a certain extent because um, people were buying homes like crazy and then people stopped buying homes and now uh, the amount of construction jobs is cut down and stuff like that. And uh, construction is a very big industry within America. But if you compare that to what it looked like on the actual balance sheet of the banks, there was like no actual economic loss, which is why QE was kind of invented uh, for this because the banks had on their balance sheet, they had an asset, which was a, or they had a house and the house was perfectly good as, and there was no issues with the house. The only thing that was messed up was supposedly one side of the balance sheet said that there was a, um, that this house was worth this much. And it, so basically they had a messed up balance sheet. Let's see if I can pull this up. So this is the Minsk uh, program <clears throat> that Keen invented, and it uh, it does a whole bunch of cool stuff. And this is supposed to model uh, modern monetary theory. Okay, come on, what's going on? Here we go. Um, but this is one of the key things that it has to do is it has to um, do this godly chart. So this is basically how banks work, right? So they have their assets, their liabilities, and their equity. And so their assets equal their their assets have to equal their liabilities. Well, when the great financial collapse happened, their assets didn't equal their liabilities anymore because the value on the house that they had set as the liability went down. So now all of a sudden the, the balance is off and they had to get that back. So then when they did QE and they pumped all this money into the banks, that all went into equity, I think. Um, 
And so now they could use that equity to balance out their balance sheet. So now they had this house, which is worth half of what it was before. Then they took a bunch of that equity and threw it on the other side of the balance sheet. So now uh, the asset equals the equity. And they could say their balance sheet was good. But now that money was supposed to be used to loan out, even though they get to invent the money, but whatever. <clears throat> um, they didn't want to loan out because they didn't want to end up in a situation like they just did where someone can't make their loan payment and all of a sudden their balance sheet is messed up again. Even though, again, we can just do an accounting trick and just write off and be like, okay, well, this house is worth this much. Well, then you just change the balance sheet because it's all basically funny money made up stuff anyway. <clears throat> so what should have happened, and it because you can't do that when a firm goes down because there was actual economic loss. But here you have a perfectly good house that somebody, so just sell it at the lower price, write that the assets equal the liabilities. You actually haven't like, because it's, it's not like you don't still have a house. And so um, you can basically say the asset equals the liability because there was no actual loss and move it back into the economy. And we could have smoothly transitioned out of this by basically saying, uh, yeah, we said that it was, but we'll just we'll just say the asset, the, the price isn't connected to the asset because you have this asset. Uh, whatever you sell it at is what it was in the in the booking thing, and boom, we're we're good. We're back off into the races. We can start loaning again. But that's not what happened, uh, and it caused a lot of issues. <clears throat> um, so that's that part. <laughs> um, and yeah, so basically, as this deleveraging happens, we're going to have to have prices go down. So let's look at the S&P 500 and some of the other things. So the big thing is people are saying the gold, 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 gold is going to surge and stuff like that. But in reality, it didn't really surge that much. So if we look at gold, it um, in 2008, so the, the collapse started happening in 2006. But then the great financial collapse happened in 2008. So... 2008, 2009. So, I mean, it surged up and then it corrected back here and you lost about 25% of your money. So, okay, maybe gold is somewhat safe. But the thing is, they never say, they say gold is a hedge against inflation. So, if we're going to have deflation, this could be coming down a lot. And guess what? You can't pay your debts in gold. You can't pay your rent in gold. You can't pay your taxes in gold. The instant that changes, all bets are off. But until that does change, um, people are way too are telling people to put their money in things because they're telling them both inflation and deflation at the same time. They're like, you need to move your, your money out of whatever you have it in right now, but also uh, you need to still put it in some kind of asset, even though all of the assets are going to implode, in my opinion, um, because we're going to have a... Uh, we're going to have both inflation and deflation at the same time. We have... Goods and services have inflated only because uh, we stopped offering them. <laughs> So let's go look at the NASDAQ. So this is the 2000, this is the dot com boom. And interestingly enough, uh, it took like 10 years to get back to that. So um, this is actually, this dot com boom is actually very reminiscent of what happened in Japan, um, where basically uh, it didn't recover for like 10 years and still hasn't technically recovered. But this is the 2008. And so here again, um, you know, 2006 is when things started to look shaky. 2007 uh, stuff was looking bad. 2008 is when the actual collapse happened. And so we're in 2008 right here. 
and it takes all the way until the it bottoms out so here's here's like a first bottom it in November and then a second bottom in uh, February of 2009 and then it starts taking off and it doesn't get back to this level until um, 2011 and even then you kind of have a short-term peak here in 2010 and comes back down so uh, you know I think we have more downside and I, we have uh, some time before some of this stuff is gonna uh, play out here again uh, 2007 2008 collapse 2009 we're not recovering until um you know the third month of 2009 so you know we're looking at potentially 2020 uh some people are thinking 2023 or whatever i think we have a lot more downside and 2004 because the big thing is they they pulled out all the stops and there's a a lot of other stuff that's going on we're potentially going to be facing a sovereign debt crisis as shown by sri lanka going on um and uh we're gonna we're facing a worldwide credit crisis that is uh, spurred on by a lot of things. One of them being the euro dollar, which I haven't touched on yet. Uh, we'll touch on that in a second. So uh, collapsing house prices. So it peaked in 2007, in quarter one of 2007, and it took until 2009 was the low. It kind of flatlined here for a couple more years, 2011, 2012. So you know this stuff takes a while to play out. Um, this is the first thing to peak. And was one of the catalysts to the the financial collapse here. I don't think that'll be the case this time. Uh, and this is basically what happened. So you have uh, private debt, and this is um, the amount of private debt that's being created, and then it goes negative because people were were uh, paying off their debt. When you pay off debt, you shrink the money supply, um, which is what causes the death spiral. I should talk about for Fisher's death spiral. I've talked about it previously, but basically. Uh, you have a debt deflation death spiral that happens because um, as defaults happen and as people pay off their debts, um, the burden to pay off the debt gets higher. So in an inflationary, people tell you to take out uh, loans in an inflationary period because the idea is the low, the inflation eats away the loan. So if you have an inflation of 10% and the loan is a 3% or a 5% loan, um, basically you are getting paid 5% on that loan because inflation is eating away the money faster, the value of the money faster than you're paying back the loan. So that's the advantage doing it that way. But if that ever reverses on you, you have the opposite issue where um, every dollar that you pay back is worth more and more money. And this is basically what happens whenever you have a, a financial collapse is the amount owed uh, can't ever pay off the amount uh, it's in the system. And, uh, there's actually a good video by Ray Dalio that, uh, discussed this. Um, let's pull this up here. Do, 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 um, how the eco economic machine works. So I would suggest watching this. It's kind of, I had suggested, um, money as debt previously, and that is still a good video, but this is another video that basically summarizes the money as debt thing uh, is a little bit more updated and like cleaner and stuff like that because that video has uh is really grainy and stuff like that nowadays um and explains everything and is in one 30 minute video so i think the other one is a little bit longer um anyway i highly recommend this go check it out but um what's basically happening with that is the private debt 
is going to reverse. And so the amount that's owed, people are never going to be able to pay off that debt. And he goes through that in that video where uh, someone else's salary is you pay, you buying someone is someone else's salary. And so when someone doesn't have a salary, then they can't pay back their debts, which then causes, or buy new things, which then causes someone else to not be able to have their salary. And it causes this whole death spiral. And uh, debt needs to be looked at a lot like steroids. Uh, steroids are going to really enhance your ability to lift and, and do a lot of stuff in the gym, but they have a cost to them. And if you ever go off steroids, it can be very detrimental. And debt is the same way. Um, and additionally, like when you get that jack and stuff like that, it can have uh, various health effects. That's the same way with the health of the economy. It it really boosts it initially, and then eventually that that uh, bill comes due, and you don't have enough money to pay for it. So, uh, I've been kind of teasing this. So, how bad is it? <laughs> so, um, here is the M2 money supply. So we had kind of they had kind of shown that with um, where are we here? Here we go. So, yep. So here's our M2. Oh, no. Here's our M2 money supply. Oh, went absolutely. And this is a percentage change. Um, so it percentage change was, and it, it's like 20 or pushing 20 trillion. Uh, it's probably at like 17, 18 trillion, which is what we see here. So here, this is um, the, I think this, these stats are provided by uh, one of the federal reserves. So here we are at uh, 21 point, or 21,731.3. And this is in billions of dollars. So if we multiply that by a billion, what we get is 21,731,000,000,000. Now that is a lot. Now let's edit that graph. So we're going to add a line. And that line that we're going to add is the M3 money supply, because that's the one that nobody talks about. M3 includes all the debt for the entire United States um, system. Let's see what that looks like when we add that. Uh, th by the way, M3 includes M2. So technically, to get just M3, you're going to have to subtract out M2. But let's just take a look. Okay, so. Uh, you remember that really, really tall line? Yeah, it's, uh, it's this flat thing down here. And this thing right here, this is our M3. Um, remember, this is in billions. And we currently have... Uh, well, what is that? It's 21 trillion, 750 billion, 300 million billions. So just to give you a perspective... I did the math, and it is, it is this number. It is 21.65 times 10 to the 22nd, which is, uh, one sixtillion. We we're, we're at trillions. We skipped quadrillion, quintillion, and went to sixtillion. That is how much money. And that, by the way. This is the M3 money supply for the United States. It is so much worse than this. So much worse. Because there's this thing called the Euro dollar. Now, the Euro dollar, here we go. Oh, let's just bring, I'm going to borrow this guy's stuff. Uh, 
Come on. So the euro dollar is basically all of the dollars that are created. So in Europe, basically because the United States is the world reserve currency, all the other currencies are backstopped by the dollar. It used to be gold, now they use the dollars. And the advantage of dollars is, unlike the gold supply, the dollar supply can expand. Well, you have places like the Euro and Russia and China and literally all over the world, they can create dollars, but guess what they don't have? They don't have a printing press. So, when things happen like Sri Lanka defaulting on its debts, they can't just print their way out of it like the United States can. Because... And this is where people were like, oh my gosh, we sprinted $4 trillion. If all, if all $21 trillion of that went into paying off these debts, all that money would disappear. And we would, our, the money supply would shrink by $21 trillion. Um, this is effectively how much money we could print before we'd ever see a monetary inflation within the system. Now... With the caveat that if that money went into debt, <clears throat> because what happens when you give people, just hand people money, they're going to go spend it. They're not going to use it to pay off their debts necessarily. Now, if they do use it to pay off their debts, they will. But um, unless you can have it directed towards that for various reasons, and that's one of Keen's suggestions, but it is, oh, there's so much more money in this system than I thought. Um, now, M3 isn't just uh, debt instruments. It is um, a series of things. It includes like some, I think it includes like some stocks and bonds and stuff like that. But a good chunk of this is simply just the debt. <laughs> um, so, and because, and th that's just America. So then we got to add on the fact that Europe and basically the rest of the nations exist. And they have all of these, this backstop debt that isn't gonna that needs to be paid in dollars somehow. This is why um, when you hear someone say cash is trash and the dollar's going to zero, uh, just show them this or just bring this up. And uh, because all the like the dollars have to go into this when the defaults start happening, <clears throat> and it is gonna suck up all the money. And then once that happens, guess what's gonna happen? Everyone's gonna have to sell their assets and everything else to just try to get the the money as much as they can. And this is why they're going to have to print a shitload of money. Like, an unfathomable amount of money. Like, you thought 2020 printing was crazy? It is going to get nuts. <clears throat> now, ideally, they would do targeted printing. Where, um, and they would stop giving it to banks. Because, uh, in... Keen's great work uh, debunking economics. He showed why sending that money into banks doesn't work. Um, and what you actually need to do is you need to give it to the people that are over leveraged and the, the firms that are over leveraged so that they can uh, get that off their balance sheet and then banks can start lending to them again and then start the overall process again. And then hopefully stop doing this where you just create asset bubbles out of the debt that you're printing and get it in towards productive assets so that you can start building a manufacturing base again because that is the foundation of all economic success. Um, so let's see if he's got a chart on that. I'm not sure. Um, but here's another th great thing. Uh, go to Keen's Debt Deflation and his manifesto and read that. 
and he will understand what is going on with this stuff and possible solutions with his his modern jubilee uh his debt jubilee which i think is a genius system uh to summarize basically you're going to give everyone a hundred thousand dollars with how crazy this debt system is uh maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars at this point um and you're going to use that to pay off your debts you can only use it to pay off your debts once you do that you funnel that money uh that's that'll basically make a lot of the balance sheet solvent it'll bring the it won't eliminate the debt load but it'll bring it down now it for every citizen that gets two hundred fifty thousand dollars what if you're like myself and you don't have any debts great well guess what firms didn't get any of that money so this is one of the things that they kind of did during the um 2020 pandemic was they uh used it as a way to basically what happened is the the economic system collapsed and then they were like uh there's a pandemic and then they used that to cover up the fact that we had an absolute economic collapse um they can't do that again so well maybe they 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 could try but they don't you know fool me once kind of thing so i don't think they're going to be able to pull the wool over their people's eyes as, as hard as they did in 2020. so what's going to happen is uh if you're given the 250 you pay off all your debts okay you're debt free. Now you have some money left over or you didn't have any debts to begin with. Now you're going to give that money to a firm. They're going to give you some kind of um, asset back. So uh, some kind of dividend paying asset or bond or something like that. Some share in the company. They're going to use that. They're going to shove that into their debts. Uh, again, they have to use the payoff debts. Then it clears out the, the uh, debt in the system. Not all of it, but enough of it to allow productive um, capacity to go on. Because you don't actually have to clear it all out. Because as long as the level of debt lowers to the point where um, the productive capacity of the country meets or exceeds the debt level, you're fine and productive uh, stuff can start going again. Banks' balance sheets will be good, so they'll be uh, feel comfortable to start lending again. It is by far the best system I've heard. Now, to do this, America would basically have to bail out the world. <clears throat> um... And we're just going to pretend, and th yeah, and then sovereign debt or whatever, like, we're just going to pretend, like, uh, sovereign debt doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's literally the only way to make this, it's, duh, it's a weird thing. I, I'm not sure, because, again, I get people who are like, oh, sovereign debt's bad and stuff like that, and I agree, but uh, it's, this is the only way out that I can see. Um, and then setting up the system so that this stuff doesn't happen again that's where uh robert warner has been uh great because he's got a lot of great articles and uh talks about um how big of an effect local community banks have on the systems because local community banks have the relationship with small firms and people that run small companies that are uh, titans of industry within their very specific field but are relatively small and they but they're they're the best in their niche and because they're so niche down there's lots of little niches and together as a uh all these different uh superior niched economies or niched companies uh make a very strong economy uh, apparently this is uh germany's like way ahead with like 1500 of these um like leading companies that you've never really heard of and America's the next with like 300. So, and the, the, he says that one of the core things of this is the small banks in these communities that knows how to loan to these banks and creating ways to prevent mergers and, and acquisitions 
from killing these banks. Because, again, there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions of banks. If you read Vox Day's um, The Return of the Great Depression, he shows how many bank failures and stuff like that there have been over the years and how much of a consolidation has been. And that is one of the reasons that we're having a lot of these economic issues that we currently do. So, that was a lot. And I don't know if it was all coherent, but... Hopefully that guys that gives you an idea of what's going on here, why we're going to see a massive uh, lowering of this stuff, and why uh, the ride is just beginning in terms of what we're going to see and expect when it comes to the economic downside of things. Because if this, if they don't do anything to address the fact that this number is going to shrink by a lot, and there isn't nearly enough of M2 to cover this gap, we are going to see a contraction like we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Um, there's options available to them. If the, uh, I don't know what the Federal Reserve's plans are or how they think. Um, and, you know, because you can't really take what they say in public at, at face value. They're, politi like, part of their job is politicians. Their job is to lie to you. So what, how they actually think and all this stuff that's going on. Um, kind of behind the scenes and, and in their head, we don't actually know. But, Federal Reserve, I am for hire. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how this plays out. Um, understand this is kind of the uh, potential road ahead. And maybe something will happen so that this leverage, deleveraging can happen in a smooth way. But there's a very high probability that it won't. And things are going to get really rocky. So I would say just, you know, make sure you have kind of your necessities. Uh, get out of debt as much as possible and, uh, and make sure you're secured. Um, I, you know, I have a friend that just bought a house and stuff like that. I would say don't worry about that uh, kind of stuff. You know, it is what it is. Like, don't beat yourself up for decisions you already made if, like, you know, any of this has kind of made you anxious or, or really worried about the future. Um if you're in credit card debt or any of that stuff, get out of it, get out of it as fast as possible because that's going to set you up for a potential um, better situation going into the future. Uh, I wouldn't do that with a mortgage just because unless you're like one, two years, like you can just pay it off really, really soon um, before all this plays out. But if you're locked in for 30 years and you're on your like two to three and you got like 25 more years, you're not going to be able to get enough money to pay that off. Um, before kind of this crisis hits. So, um, you know, it's, you know, just do your thing. Uh, it is what it is kind of thing. And, you know, the decision's been made. Don't worry about it. Uh, and, hey, maybe things will work out. And uh, the beautiful deleveraging, this thing that I kind of mentioned, will happen. You'll you'll still end up with your house and, and everything will be good. Um, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but I hope you guys found this interesting. Uh, why... I think there's a lot more downside for asset prices and stuff like that. Um, now, uh, and just kind of be aware that with all this stuff going on, the Fed's probably going to try to do something. What that is, I don't know because they have surprised the crap out of me. Like, I expected this collapse to come in, like, 2020 when they shut everything down, and it was going to, but then they uh, made they did rent moratoriums, and they did 40-year mortgages, and uh, they gave everyone $1,400, which isn't much. Um but it was something, and, oh, what else did they do? Oh, and then they did a bunch of, like, bailouts for companies that, uh, and with, like, PPP loans and all that stuff. So, if they were willing to do all that stuff, 
maybe they're willing to do some of that stuff here. Um, the big question mark is, is the United States willing to backstop all the other nations that are going to start failing like Sri Lanka just failed? Um, now, in 2000, uh, something I hadn't mentioned is during the great financial collapse or crisis, uh, so there was all the bailouts of the bankers here. One thing that doesn't get discussed uh, is America bailed out the EU's banking system because, again, all the debt was denominated in dollars. So the, the America is the only one that can bail all these uh, places out. So... I, oh, and then you have the petrodollar, which ties in and potentially messes a whole bunch of other stuff up. I don't know. That's just another layer, and I don't know exactly how that plays out or how that factors in at all. Uh, it, it At a certain point, it just gets too much to try to comprehend, and you just got to be like, look, we're not going to consider that, and we're just going to kind of go forward with it. Um, but there's a small possibility that what you end up seeing over the next coming years is basically America writing a check to all the sovereign nations and uh, writing off all their debt and uh, and then moving forward from there. And that might, what that will probably do is that will end the United States Reserve currency status, but it will, I think that's, like, you give up world reserve currency status if you do that, but the trade-off is, like, an economic collapse that is so catastrophic and worldwide that it causes way more issues. It is, like, you have to kind of give up the empire to save the nation kind of thing. And are they willing to do that? I don't know. But that's kind of where I see it. Anyway, hopefully you guys found this very interesting. Um, this has been According to Andrew. Um, like, share, subscribe if you did find it interesting. And I will see you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.